Our reading this morning is the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we are so grateful for your word and grateful for the promises that we find there. We take hold of the promise that where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are present. We take hold of the promise that when we lift our voices in prayer, you answer. We pray that this morning your spirit would be working, drawing us nearer to you, and by consequence, nearer to one another as well. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we will be bringing the, the series that we've been in, in the midst of for the past month or so on prayer uh, to a close. Uh, for the past four weeks, we've talked about the purpose of prayer, a pattern for prayer. Josiah did a great job of helping us think about how we rest in prayer. And then last week, John talked about the privilege and gave us a challenge to pray for one another. This week, we're taking just a slight turn there and talking about the call that we have, the privilege we have of praying with one another as the church in, in corporate prayer. I don't know what your experience with corporate prayer has been. Um, me, personally, I've had some incredibly beautiful times in corporate prayer alongside some really painful, awkward times in corporate prayer. I remember being gathered in this room with the room was full, so a couple hundred people. And, and each we were divided up into groups of three or four. And we were praying intently for the campus, for the town, that God's word would go out from this church and accomplish its purposes, not just in this town, but globally. And it was amazing to hear hundreds of voices in unison, praying out loud, and just that, that concert of voices in prayer. It was a sweet time that I will remember forever. I've also sat through prayer meetings where we have spent what seemed like an eternity praying for Aunt Betsy's ingrown toenail. Or, or someone's praying for something very political and I'm thinking, no Lord, please, not that. Right? You get both ends of the spectrum. Every once in a while there's comical situations that happen in corporate prayer. I remember one of the small groups I was leading, uh, this is years ago, uh, and we were doing a study on the Lord's Prayer. We'd been doing this study for a couple weeks, kind of working through phrase by phrase what each phrase meant, and, and we were bringing that study to a close and spending time in prayer, praying line by line the Lord's Prayer. We'd pray a little bit, and then we'd pause and just reflect, and then we'd pray a little bit more, and one of my sons, who will remain nameless, I embarrassed them a lot the last time I preached, so they're going to remain nameless this time. Was sitting there a year, maybe 18 months old, and, and sitting on, on mom's lap. And about midway through the prayer, rips one real good. And it was, you got to understand, in the Wall household, 
Can I use the word fart in this service? I didn't, I stayed away from the F word in the, the first service, but uh, that's just high comedy. And, and so, you know, in our house, that, that always is met with a laugh. And it, that goes way back. So not only did he rip one, but then he let out one of those great, you know, little kid belly laughs. And it just kept going. And then we were all laughing. And the prayer time was done. We never got to, you know, lead us not into temptation. It was just over at that point. Uh, Again, I don't know what your experience of corporate prayer is. But I do know that it's an important part of the Christian life. Uh, Here in America, our religion tends to be very personal, very individualistic. And so when we hear Jesus say things like, when you pray, don't let anyone hear you pray. Go into your closet and pray alone. That resonates with us. We're, we're quick to kind of accept those words. I think it's harder for us to rally around those calls to pray together as the church. That seems more unnatural. But it's just as important. This week I was reading the classic Andrew Murray book on prayer. It's called... Uh, in the school of, with Christ in the school of prayer. He says the first lesson Christ teaches us about prayer is that we ought to do it in secret. It's just us and God, and it's a very personal thing. But he says, but the second lesson is that that's not enough. We need public, corporate prayer, where our hearts are being united with other believers around important things of God. He likens it to a tree. He says a tree that's healthy has deep roots. Those roots are essential for the health of the tree, but they're unseen. That's your private prayer life. But again, for a tree to be healthy, it has to have branches and leaves that are visible. That's the corporate nature of our prayer lives, and it is just as important. Consider the, the Lord's Prayer. We've been using this prayer in, in our series for the past few weeks. We're not going to go through it phrase by phrase or anything like that. I just want to point out the pronouns that are used in this prayer. The, the verses that immediately precede this are when Jesus says, go into your prayer closet and pray alone. But then he teaches his disciples this prayer, which is a corporate prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. This is a corporate prayer meant to be prayed together as the body of Christ. It's not just Jesus' words. It's also the example that we have from the early church. In Acts chapter 2, we're given a little bit of a glimpse into the life of the early church. We see this verse, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were together, corporately, it seems like daily, and they spent tremendous amounts of time together in prayer, uniting around the purposes of of God. So as we contemplate corporate prayer and the importance of corporate prayer, 
This morning, I want us to focus on, on two things. Well, no, it's actually six things. It's three reasons and three ways, okay? So three reasons to enter into corporate prayer. Why, do we, why is it important? Why should we engage in prayer together with one another? Well, the first is because corporate prayer is effective. It's effective. God has given us great promises. Again, when two or more are gathered in his name, he's there in their presence. He's ready and willing to hear their request. And corporate prayer moves God. There's tremendous mysteries wrapped up in prayer. We don't, can't get into all of those. But I can say confidently from Scripture, corporate prayer is effective. Go back to that early description of the church from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to these things, to prayer. And then a few verses later, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Or fast forward a few chapters in the book of Acts. This is one of the more comical uh, stories in the New Testament. Acts 2, I'm sorry, Acts 12, 5. So Peter was kept in prison. He'd been arrested by King Herod along with a lot of other Christians at this point. Uh, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter. I don't know why he didn't just tap him, but he struck him on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and chains fell off of Peter's wrist. If you read on in the story, it's, it is really funny. Uh, Peter leaves the prison and goes down to the house where the believers are gathered in prayer, knocks on the door, someone answers the door and can't believe it's actually Peter. Closes the door, goes back to tell the people, Peter's here, and they say, no, you're crazy. Goes back to the, this happens like two or three times, and finally they let Peter in, and he tells them about this miracle. But they were gathered together in earnest prayer. Now we need to acknowledge that there is, again, I alluded to it, a, a mystery here. In the verses immediately preceding this, um, this scene, we're told that many had been arrested and James had been executed. I'm pretty positive the church was praying for James as well. Praying that he'd be released. He wasn't. And I don't mean to insinuate that every time the church gathers together and prays that thousands of people will come to faith in Christ, that God is going to answer in exactly the way that we want him to. I'm not saying that at all. But great, amazing things flow out of corporate prayer. Not always as we think they're going to or want them to, but great, amazing things flow out of corporate prayer. A great example of this comes from the early 19th century here in America. A group of students in Massachusetts, five college students, met in Sloan's Meadow to debate the theology of foreign missions. Super exciting college night, right? Uh, their debate, their discussion was interrupted by a thunderstorm and they sought refuge under a haystack. The discussion turned 
into a prayer meeting. The prayer meeting is known as the Haystack Revival. It gave birth to the modern missions movement in America. Missions agencies were formed by those five men, and missionaries were sent out to the four corners of the globe. Incredible, effective, amazing things happen as a result of corporate prayer. An even cooler example comes from the early 18th century in Germany. A group of religious refugees petitioned Count Zinzendorf, that's a great name, Zinzendorf, to use his land to make a settlement. It's called Herrnhut. It's a city in Germany today. Uh, These religious refugees were led not by a pastor, not by a missionary, not by a theologian, by a potter. And they were kind of a weak, beleaguered group. Five years into the settlement, so 1727 now, they decided that they needed to be more fervent in prayer and called for a prayer meeting. It would be a -a 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting that lasted for a century, uninterrupted. Out of that, hundreds of missionaries were commissioned and sent to Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and the Americas. Incredible, amazing things happen when God's people unite together in corporate prayer. So it's effective. It also promotes unity. Corporate prayer promotes unity. We know that the unity of the church is something that God desires. It's something that is pleasing and beautiful to Him, and it should be to us as well. Psalm 133.1 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Jesus, in His high priestly prayer, John 17, prays for a lot of things, but at the core of His prayer is this, this petition to the Father that we would be united that we would be together as one in purpose, in heart, in mind. As evangelicals, we frankly don't have a great track record of unity. We pursue unity until we disagree. And then it's kind of, eh, it's an optional thing. But it's at the core of what Jesus wants for his church. Unity. And corporate prayer promotes unity. Consider just this one passage from 1 Peter 2. Peter writes, As you come to him, meaning Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Certainly what Peter has in mind here is, as we come to Christ in faith, initially... We're built into this church, this spiritual house. But that phrase, as you come to him, isn't a past tense. It's not when you came to him. It's a present tense verb there. As you come to him and keep coming to him, together as the body, in worship and in corporate prayer, you are being knit together, cemented together, into this beautiful spiritual house, a holy priesthood that is glorifying and pleasing to God 
corporate prayer builds that unity. I mean, it's not hard to see how that works, is it? I come to the body of Christ, and I bring my burdens, and I lay them down, and others take up those burdens and offer them in prayer. Carry my burden with me. You come, and you bring your burdens, and, and we carry them. And God knits our hearts in deeper affection for one another. Or as we come together, our focus shifts off of our kind of light and momentary burdens. Our focus shifts to the, the call of the church, the purpose of the church, the kingdom of God, and our prayers expand and we rally together, and again, in mind and heart and soul, affection and will around the deep things of God. Corporate prayer promotes unity. A third thing, corporate prayer exposes the blind spots in our own individual prayer lives. Now, I'm being honest, I don't have a text to back this one up. But I have experience, life experience, prayer experience. But evaluate it. Take it for what it's worth. Tell me you disagree with me. I can handle it. Uh, but I've seen this at work. Uh, imagine with me that you're a pitcher, uh, like a baseball pitcher, not a, you know, pour me out kind of pitcher. Um, you're, you're a pitcher. And you're praying before a game. Help me throw strikes today. Let me be on top of my game. Let me pitch well. Let my curveball bite and my fastball zip. You know, let me do well. After that, you gather with your team in prayer, those who are believers, and you pray together and you say, Lord, help mighty Casey not strike out today. Uh, let's slay this evil giant, obviously the Yankees. Let's win. We want to win. Help us. Your prayers change now that you've expanded your prayer network, right? Uh, go a step further. And instead of praying with just your team, you get together with believers on the other team. You're probably not praying anymore, let us win. You're praying, keep us safe. Help us to use the gifts and talents you've given us to glorify you. Help us to enjoy this day. Your prayer has changed. That happens when we get together and, and pray corporately. It's no longer just me and, and my concerns or even my views on worldly concerns. My prayers get shaped by your prayers, your prayers by the person's prayers next to you. Our blind spots, our ruts, our habits, our patterns get exposed and shaped and transformed by the body of Christ. And that is a good, beautiful thing. The corporate prayer exposes our blind spots. It builds unity, and it's effective. But how? How do we engage in corporate prayer in good and healthy ways? Some of this is going to sound so duh. But bear with me. Think with me about how we engage well in corporate prayer. First, pray with the church that's right in front of you. Each Sunday morning, we gather together in, in worship. A good part of our worship service 
is praying. I feel like sometimes I, and maybe you, treat our prayers as transition elements. To get from this point of the service to that point of the service, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's, let's have a prayer. There's so much more than that. They're not just transition elements. They're our charter. As the people of God, we're to be a praying people. Uh, they're part of our DNA as the spiritual family of God. We're to be a praying family. So when we're engaged in those times of prayer, pray. Pay attention to the fact that we are praying, how we are praying, the, the priorities of our corporate prayers. And add your amen. Maybe some of you will add a verbal, out loud amen. That would be awesome. It doesn't have to be. But add your agreement. Say, yes, Lord. I'm praying with the people here. Yes, Lord, do that. Yes, Lord, hear our prayers. Amen. And recognize that even when we're not engaged in prayer with our head bowed and our eyes closed, we're singing songs. And many, many of our songs are corporate prayers. They're addressed to God, making petitions to God. And we're doing it together. So enter into worship. Enter into the singing part of worship prayerfully. Pray corporately with the church that's right in front of you on Sunday morning. But even beyond the time that we have in the service together, there's lots of opportunities to pray together. Just before the service, just before the 9 a.m. service, or the 9.30 service, there's a group that meets in room 5 to pray for the morning. They pray for the pastors, they pray for the worship leaders, they pray for everything that's going to happen in the service. You could join them in that. On Sunday nights at 4 o'clock, there's a missions prayer group that meets to pray for the missionaries flung to the four corners of the world and right here in Bloomington that God would be working through them to advance his kingdom. There's a great group on Wednesday mornings of ladies that pray for the needs of the church. You could join one of those. Or you could make prayer a priority in the group that you're in. I know sometimes in the small groups that I lead, I treat prayer as the bookends of the study. We open in prayer, we close in prayer. Let me challenge you instead to think about the study as how you get from one time of prayer to the next. So flip your thinking maybe. This week I was tremendously encouraged when sending out emails and, and getting reports back from our small group leaders and kind of compiling that information. Right now, there are 24 active small groups here in the church with 232 people spread across those small groups. That's awesome. Now, imagine if those groups were engaged in earnest, urgent, deep prayer for the needs within the group, praying for one another, but also praying with one another for the needs of the church, for the needs of the community, for the gospel needs of the world. Praying that the word of God would go out from this place and spread like wildfire. You get a little bit of a chill 
thinking about what God can do with 200 and some people praying earnestly week in and week out that they would be used, that the church would be used, the church would be built, the kingdom advanced. That's exciting stuff. So pray. Pray with the church that's in front of you. Also, I would encourage you to pray with the church through the ages. If one of the purposes of prayer, uh, of corporate prayer, is that it exposes our blind spots in praying, we all have blind spots because we live, frankly, in the day and age in which we live. It's great to be able to pray with the saints who lived hundreds of years ago. Yeah, they had their own cultural blind spots, but they're different than ours. It's great to see and to pray what they prayed. Their passions, their, their priorities. How do you do that? Well, you can certainly pick up prayer books. There's great records of prayers that have been prayed for centuries. One that I use frequently, the Book of Common Prayer. It's now more than 400 years old. It's been prayed by Christians for more than 400 years. I also have a favorite, the Valley of Vision. It's a Puritan prayer book. Puritans were a little odd, I'll give them that, but they knew how to pray. It's great to hear their prayers and to pray their prayers. But even better than a prayer book, pray Scripture. Pray Scripture. Uh, the Psalms, they were prayed by the church before Christ. Uh, they're prayed by the church all over the globe now, since Christ. They will be prayed by the church till Christ returns. And they can be really uncomfortable to pray because they weren't written by 21st century Americans. We don't often in our corporate prayer pray for the wrath of God to be poured out on people or for judgment to come. But wow, the Psalms do. Learn how to pray the Psalms. Engage with the saints through the ages in praying these prayers of God's people. Pray with the saints, with the church through the ages. And then finally, I would encourage you to pray with the church in your home. I would contend that the family is the basic building block for the church. Uh, the family that you have that is in your home. Husband, wife, parents, children, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Pray with them. I wish I could tell you that my prayer life with my family, with my wife, was outstanding. It has been at times. Not always. In my prayer life with my family, it's regular, it's committed, it's not always profound. Sometimes I feel like I'm praying the same prayer tonight that I prayed last night, that I prayed the night before, that I prayed the night before, and it's pretty shallow. You know what? The content of our prayer with our family doesn't always have to be profound. The very act of praying with your family is profound. It's in our homes where we teach and learn how to pray corporately, how to pray as the people of God, to bear one another's burdens, to think outside of our own self 
and consider others in our prayers. Yeah, we'll get stuck in ruts, but we pray. I challenge you to pray with the church that's right in front of you, to pray with the church through the ages, and to pray with the church that is in your home. Corporate prayer is important, desperately, essentially important to unleashing the power of the church and to experiencing the full blessing of what it means to be the people of God. This morning, I'm going to conclude the sermon by praying a prayer by Andrew Murray, written, I think, 100, 150 years ago. But at the end of this corporate prayer, I'm going to ask you to join me again in praying the Lord's Prayer. I'll let you know when it's time. Will you pray with me? Blessed Lord, who did in your high priestly prayer ask so earnestly for the unity of thy people, teach us how. Teach us how thou dost invite and urge us to this unity by thy precious promise given to united prayer. It is when we are one in love and desire that our faith in thy presence and the Father's answer. O Father, we pray for thy people, for every smaller circle of those who meet together, that they may be one. Remove, we pray, all selfishness and self-interest, all narrowness of heart and estrangement by which that unity is hindered. Cast out the spirit of the world and the flesh, through which thy promises lose all its power. O let the thought of thy presence and the Father's favor draw us all nearer to each other. Grant especially, blessed Lord, that thy church may believe that it is by the power of united prayer that she can bind and loosen heaven, that Satan can be cast out, that souls can be saved, that mountains can be removed, that the kingdom can be hastened, and grant, good Lord, that in the circle in which I pray, the prayer of the church may indeed be the power through which thy name and thy word are glorified. And now using the words your son taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.